Well, hello there. Welcome to Just to Be Nominated, a podcast about movies distributed by Lee Enterprises. The show is hosted by Bruce Miller, an entertainment reporter for multiple decades, who is currently the editor of the Sioux City Journal, Jared McNett, a reporter for the Globe Gazette in Mason City, Iowa, and me, Chris Lay, the podcast operations manager for Lee. This week, we spend arguably too much time talking about the new James Bond, and then we get into a new cancel culture angled slasher flick on Netflix titled There's Someone Inside Your House. For the staff picks portion of the show, we round up a handful of low-budget indie horror movies worth seeking out. Then, finally, we take a look at the latest movie news. You can find links to all the movies that we talk about in the show notes, along with links to our social media, etc., to see what we're up to and or contact us if you want to sound off in our DMs. If you like the show, you should tell your movie-loving pals and let us know what you think in the review section of the show wherever you get your podcasts. Now... Here it is, our show kicks off after this short pause. We can, we can jump right in now that we got Jared on the call. Howdy, Jared. Hello. And Bruce, Jared coming in from Mason City, Iowa. Not from Mason City. Bruce coming in from, from Sioux, City. Sioux City, Iowa. And me, I'm Chris Lay. I am coming in from Madison, Wisconsin. Cold from Madison. It's, it's, <laughs> it's dreary. We've had a couple days of like really dreary weather um, yeah. lately. We were talking before we got on the air uh, about James Bond. Last night I went to see the movie and it was in a theater that was so cold. It felt like you were actually in the snow when they started showing snow scenes. So there you go. It was, uh, it was, finally, it was finally time to die. It was was it telling me something? It was like trying to send a message somehow. But did you see it yet, Jared, or not? Uh, no, I'm probably gonna see it sometime this uh, weekend, though. Can I go out on a limb and talk? Of yeah, course. go for it. I think it could be nominated for best picture. Really? Huh. I really do because. You know, James Bond has been so many different things over the course of time. Um, we were talking, uh, Chris and I were talking, there's been a jokey kind of feel to James Bond at one point. And you know, there's a lot of different vibes that they've had. But this seems like if you didn't know that it was a franchise character, you would say this is a really well-made movie. There's a lot here to unpack. And I could see the fine hand of Phoebe uh, Waller-Bridge. You could see where she gave those very clever lines that made Bond seem a little more than just wink, wink, nudge, nudge. He was a little sharper. And there's even one point, and I know she wrote it. I know she wrote it. But he's working with Q, you know, the guy who creates all those fabulous toys for him. And at one point, he, he's talking to him over the headset, and he said, thank Q. And it's like clever, clever. It wasn't just a stupid toss off. Um, <laughs> he does a dad joke too, that's really fun. But um, yeah, there's, there's more in this, more in this than you could ever imagine. And Rami Malek, even though I don't think villain when I think of Rami Malek at all, is okay. He is okay in that role. He, he's supposed to have this scarred face, but it just looks like he's wearing sunscreen. That's all I can think of. <laughs> he's got this kind of white sunscreeny kind of face. 
And then he tries a, an accent, so good for him, he tried an accent. And then they have some kind of callbacks to the past and that's, that's very fun. It is way too long. You know, I hate any movie that goes over two hours and this one almost hits three, but there's a lot of content that's very, very good. That's always been the problem with Bond movies for me is that, I mean, they, by design, I think they have to have like four or five huge stunt set pieces. And, you know, to, to validate people getting excited for Bond, I guess. And it just ends up bloating the movies out. But I mean- Like to all those ones, look at how many more Fast and Furious car chases you have. Look at Star Wars, how many kind of battles they've got to have. All these things could lose one or two of those things and be better movies. It's, it is a really uh, tough ask to have action movies that are going for that long because like you just can't sustain that kind of pace for that long of a time. Like there are plenty of like, you know, dramas that I'll watch that are like, you know, pushing well past two hours, but like those, you don't have to keep up a frantic pace for, you know, ever and ever and ever. And so I think it works out a little bit better than, yeah, these movies like Bond or, you know, every single Marvel movie now that's like two and a half hours. It's, it's a huge ask to just like, you know, watch one action set piece after another. And then you have to have all this explainer and exposition in between. And it's a, it's a big buy-in. Well, in this thing, it takes them half the movie to get Bond back into the fold. Now, oh boy. Couldn't we just start it at that point? We'll just assume all that other crap happened. And then you can just start the film and get into the chase. But so you're, I mean, it's it's pretty big, Bruce, for you to be name dropping like best picture as a possible. I think it is. I think it's one of those. It's like when Black Panther kind of had that. Could a Marvel film really be nominated for best picture? And it did. And with 10 in the, in the running, have you seen 10 films this year that could even come close to being on the list? No, this one, it's big money, it's big everything. It has a good plot. It has that kind of um, closure that you want with Daniel Craig. It has the, it's kind of like when they rewarded um, the Lord of the Rings film. The third Lord of the Rings film was not the best Lord of the Rings film. The second wasn't either, but um, the third had about five endings and you thought, when is this thing over? And that I think if they're going to ever give a James Bond film any kind of attention, I don't say it'll win, but it could be nominated. It could be one of those 10. As a gesture, I suppose. Yeah, of... it's one of those hat tips that you give that we recognize that this is a, an icon and we should we should give it its due. Yeah, because I mean, the, the, the Daniel Craig Bond movies definitely came along at a time when the franchise was floundering and had a lot of, uh, you know, misogyny problems. I mean, there are a lot of- In the pretty, Bond movies? No. Yeah, no. yeah. I mean, those are pretty, no. I mean, some of them are outright rapey, you know? I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not really uncomfortable saying that. You know that that there's no, pretty no, solid no. especially examples. the Sean Connery ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, just name the the women that are in there. Yeah, yeah. even yeah. going back to um, you know, I rewatched uh, one of the the Brosnan Bond. I rewatched Goldeneye, and even then, you've got on a top. 
as uh, <laughs> you know, which is maybe the, the least, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and some of them are, are kind of uh, charming in a, you know, looking Retro back. Way. Yeah, exactly. In, in the way that, you know, like, like a, you know, an old issue of Playboy from 1963 might've been, you know, like, I don't know. So this seems very much like Cary Grant could have played it in the fifties. Yeah. Very, very Cary Grant-ish and it's, and it's, and you know what I loved about it, loved about it is that they don't have a title card up every two seconds telling you what country they're in. They just assume you're going to know that we're in Italy or we're in Greece or we're in wherever you don't have, because you see those where you think they've all been doing these on the back lot. And then suddenly this is Bolivia, really? Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Do, do, do you guys have a favorite of the, the Craig Bond movies? What was the last one? Spectre. Um, Spectre, and then before that was Skyfall. Yeah. Um, Spectre, not it. And then Quantum of Solace, and then honestly, the Casino Royale is still one of the strongest ones, and that was the first one. Yeah. But and that's also that was one... a welcome change of pace. Yeah, and that's also one that it shrinks everything down where, you know, 80% of the movie just takes place at a card table, more or less. Yep. Um, and yeah, Mads Mikkelsen as the, the bad guy is really solid. Um, yeah, so. You know, could an independent director do it without all that stuff? Could they do a tiny little film? No explosions, no car chases, or would it just fall apart? Well, I mean, there is a certain, what was it? I mean, just today I was reading about the, uh, all the CIA leaks, um, you know, with all, all of their, their agents being compromised and, you know, problems going on with that. And it's like, I think we're going to have to rethink spy movies in general to reflect, you know, the fact that you, you can't, you know, just have like a bunch of fake passports now, <laughs> you know, like yeah. there's, you know, like retinal scans and things like that, that you're going to have to do. Um, and, you know, how much are they going to lean into the reality of it versus um, the over the top fictionalized idea of it? Um, and you see some of that technology in this where they're trying to track people mm -hmm. and they have a thing in the eye that they use. It's, it's very good. Very good. Yep. Um, and there's also the, you know, going forward, I mean, Bruce, you mentioned that it's a, a solid kind of ending point to a degree for, you know, where they're at with their momentum. But I mean, Amazon just bought like MGM and owns a whole bunch of the rights for that. I know, I know that the, the Broccoli Family Trust, um, which is, I mean, three great words to say together, but they own, I think, all of the you know, the creative control of it. But now that Amazon, I think, owns the, the brand or, you know, whatever the, the sharing is with that, they're going to want to spin things out into a MCU style thing. You know, the way that MCU has been pushing, you know, TV shows and much smaller type things. And I think we're going to see something like that. We're going to get a, a Q miniseries. We're going to get, you know, we're going to see other agents doing their thing. Um, the marvelization of James Bond. Yeah. A Bond for all seasons. There you go. There you go. 
Indeed. You know, before the movie, they had a lot of trailers that I hadn't seen. One was for Ghostbusters. Oh, God. Afterlife. This one, I kept thinking, is this Stranger Things? It's like, it, it, yes, it is. It's pretty much. It's, yeah. That was surprising to me because I thought it was going to be a, a different thing. The other thing I noticed was they did the Eternals, that uh, Marvel thing. And big, big, remember we talked about this? Chloe wasn't getting any attention. Huge card, Academy Award winner. You know, so you're thinking, oh, a little better than I thought, huh? Yep. Yep. Well, this is like when they had Kenneth Branagh direct the, the first Thor movie. Um, you know, they've, they've definitely been drawing in big names to do stuff like, you know, reputable names, I guess, to kind of class up the place. I have loved some of the hype for that movie in particular on Twitter where people will be like, look how great this looks. And then it's just people like standing in a field or like it's cuts of like a bunch of different Marvel movies where it's just gray. Like it just is various colors of gray. <laughs> have you seen the House of Gucci yet? No. Well, yeah. well, I've seen the trailer, but no, I haven't seen the. Uh... It, it really looks like they are, if Lady Gaga isn't best actress, it isn't because they didn't try, because she really gets a push on this thing. But I also noticed that Jared Leto, they're pushing him a lot in this, and it's like you don't even recognize him. It's so much makeup. And maybe he looks like Jeffrey Tambor. <laughs> right. Well, is he becoming a makeup actor? Is that the deal? They just transform him into something else, and then he's that character. Because look at the last things he's done. He had a fake nose and stuff in that um, thing with Denzel. The little things. Yeah. And yeah. then he, he uh, the one he won the Oscar for, he transformed in that. It's a lot of costume, hair, and makeup for all these things. And now this. Why didn't they just hire some old guy to play that role? Why do they need him? Because Jared, Jared Leto brings a very unique element of campiness to it. Because everybody knows he's just this, you know, uh, weirdo actor. <laughs> and getting him in this costume, I think, has, I mean, there's there's layers of involvement and interaction with the film in that. Where you're like, that's, that's you know, the dude I had a crush on from uh, <laughs> my so-called life. So you know, it's life. the... <laughs> Well, does that say actor, you know, and you have to have all those appliances? Oh, my God, that's a good actor. He can do all those things. Well, I think I mean, some people still think that the Academy loves it. He's just this close from gaining weight and playing another role, right? Yeah. Everybody loves those transformations. And it's, you know, it also, it gives the press an angle to talk about, which but, we're doing right now. Yeah. And what I really thought that was good is Gaga just does a voice. And she kind of is, she's giving attitude and that's all she needs. She doesn't need to go, who is that now? Who is wearing that, that getup? She was just, I, I do think she has a shot at it. I think she, she could be one of your, your all-time big actresses. No, I think uh, she's definitely got, got the cachet for it. And it's also, I mean, the fact that we're going to get two big Ridley Scott movies uh, in quick succession that's, pretty weird that are both very different in in tone and approach yep. um you know after i can't even think of the last thing he did uh, uh all the money in the world yeah i don't remember that one at all this one 
movie. That was the that was the one Kevin Spacey got uh, edited out of. Oh yeah, replaced by was it Christopher Plummer? Yep. Oscar yes. nominee. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, the uh, Getty movie. Yep. But I think the you know to bring it all the way back to Ghostbusters Afterlife, I think that is maybe one of the last movies that I was seeing a trailer for before the pandemic that is finally going to come out and hopefully mark the end of, I mean, it was free guy before that, where I was seeing trailers for that in the theaters. And then, you know, we had to wait a year and a half and then black widow was backed up and um, yeah. So I feel like the uh, ghostbusters afterlife, I don't know how excited I'm going to be to see it in the theater, but I'm going to be really happy just to cross that one off the, the list of I, <laughs> things that I was looking forward to before I, I knew know. that I would be looking forward to them for so long. I really don't know who that movie is supposed to be for. That's, that, that's a whole <laughs> franchise that I don't understand how, how they've missed like an opportunity to expand out on what they've got. I feel like the... The idea of a city where ghosts and poltergeists and the afterlife and all of the uh, existential things that that drags up um, and that you have a a force of of men that are trained to, uh, you know, make these places safe for, for society against ghosts. And then, like, I mean, that just scales out in such an interesting way. And I'm sure that I've gone off on this, you know, tangent in the past, and I'm sure that I will again. But the uh, the Paul Feig Ghostbusters movie from a few years ago, where it's just the Ghostbusters but women, it's like, why don't I mean, just you can have a team of women, and just doesn't have to be a reboot of any kind. You can just set them in that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Um, and. You know, that's that was a missed opportunity. And this, I mean, it looks like it's going to take place in the Midwest or something. Oh, in the desert. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, um, I mean, that'll be interesting. But my, my understanding is that it also just completely papers over the Paul Feig version. Um, and yeah, it's just a missed opportunity. I mean, when, when we're talking about expanding out these these franchises, which I'm not against at all. Um these are, you know, beloved things that you can definitely adapt and everyone's just leaving money on the table in my mind. I think you're, you're right though, with taking a minor character and make them the, the featured person of it. That, you know, the most interesting thing they had in the female Ghostbusters was Chris Hemsworth as the receptionist, this kind of dumb, good looking guy who, could have played a lot of issues for them that would have been a a much better movie but he at least found the fun in it and I think the others were too hard to try and make sure they were playing the beats that they needed to play but you know maybe there's a lesser Ghostbusters office one that's really a loser office that is just trying to make its monthly payroll yeah you know Like the, you know, like a, a Poughkeepsie branch or, you know, right. something. And we only have one every like three days or something. We don't, yep. we're not busy every day. 
Yeah. And it's one where you can load it up with all this fan service that isn't necessarily going to bludgeon you, but it's just going to make for a, you know, a bunch of fun Easter egg type things um, and expand on the plot. You can tell any number of stories that just happen to take place in this world that, that has acknowledged the existence of ghosts and that, man, they need to be busted sometimes. <laughs> like, you know? So I, I will say with all of this, with like Ghostbusters and with uh, Bond and, you know, we talked about the, the Marvel, Marvelification of stuff too. It, it does feel hard sometimes uh, to, to justify continuing to like dwell in these worlds when like right now, the biggest cultural phenomenon in terms of like TV or movies is an original idea from South Korea. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's really hard to be like, no, we need to keep doing more, uh, more Marvel movies about some character like no one's ever heard of instead of a, a thing that's like a genuine, like worldwide phenomenon. That's an original idea, not something based off of some superhero or some like older movie or some like, you know, podcast or some like book that everyone read 10 years ago, it, it, it feels more hollow to, to insist you need to keep dwelling in those because that's the only thing that's going to make money. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, for anybody who's unaware, Jared's talking about Squid Game, mm-hmm. the Netflix series that is definitely taken literally the world by storm. Yeah. <laughs> you know what that does though? You remember how, as us, we live in the Midwest and we would always kind of look to the coasts for that big thing. And that we would feel kind of, um, oh, well, we're a little inferior because we don't have that edge that they do. Well, this is for a chance for places like Los Angeles and New York to feel what we felt like for years, which is, you know what? There's stuff going on all over. It's just, you don't see beyond that little world that you're in. Um, and realize that there are a lot of great things being made elsewhere. It's some very advantageous people are going around and scanning TV series across the globe and saying, how can we quickly adapt this and make a buck? That's why we're seeing a lot of those Scandinavian uh, dramas that are turned into American TV shows. That's why Korea is huge for things. And I think people there figure I can take a risk because what do I got to lose? You know, we'll always run the reruns of American TV. Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned the, the coasts. I mean, they definitely get, you know, it's always like opening in, you know, New York and LA. And then two months later, it actually goes wide. And so I get to watch, you know, film Twitter and Letterbox have all of these reactions to, you know, some new, you know, Sundance film uh, thing that I really want to see. But you know, you got to wait, you got to wait. But on the other hand, I mean, the Midwest, we definitely get the experimental fast food things, you know, so <laughs> yep. there you go. Yeah. You but the, it, uh, yeah, the, the meat flavored Dr. Pepper or whatever. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Although during that, when the pandemic started, and they had to stream everything. You felt like, you know what, this isn't that bad, because this means that we're getting opening day on opening day for a lot of things. Yeah, I have to stay and watch it at home, but I could still be part of the conversation after that. Yep. I will say, I I mean, that said, I am super excited that there is a theater in Madison that is screening Lamb and uh, Titan, T-I-T-A-N-E, Titan. Titan? Titan. I don't know. 
that was the um uh i think the the can film fest one of the ones that won the big award it's about the only thing that i know about it is that it won the award and it's about sex with cars and that's all that i want to know going in that is the it, it meets the the bare minimum requirement for me to buy a ticket which is to have piqued my interest <laughs> And it's from the the same director that did uh, Raw a couple years ago, which is a really, really good uh, coming of age uh, horror movie about a uh, vegetarian who uh, develops a uh, taste for flesh. Yep. That was on my on my short list last week for um, body horror. Yeah. But so we've got No Time to Die directed by Kerry Joji Fukunaga. Um, Bruce, what did you I mean? Having seen it, is there a like a real directorial tone to it? I mean, that, that's one of the problems with a lot of the Bond films, I think, is that there, there's no real auteur like aesthetic no, that not, creeps through. It's not one stamp. No, but, but there are a lot of references that make you think of other movies. Um, I mentioned Cary Grant before. There are very many kinds of things like that he had done it takes a thief. You might you look at some of those and you think, oh, that's a scene that looks like it came just right from that. But there are also things that remind you of Sean Connery in the original Bond. So I think who uh, whoever said this is the one that's got to kind of wrap it all up for us, make it all feel like we've included everything was brilliant because it is a nice way, especially if they're going to reboot and start with a whole new kind of concept. And I think if they do that, they shouldn't try to go back to old wells. I think they should try to really mix it up. And they do, can I give a sort of spoiler alert? Spoiler warning to everyone. Okay, so this is just stop it if you, but- <laughs> Skip ahead, 15 seconds. Given away Because he's been gone, they've given away his number, 007. And there is another 007. And that would have been a great way to kind of introduce somebody as a 007. You know, give you the freedom to go that direction. It doesn't, I mean, because he ultimately is 007. But that there's a nice little kind of touch there. And it is absolutely one of those things that people have talked about in terms of let's make Bond this. So that's, I don't want to spoil anymore because it's fun. And it isn't a great spoiler. So don't feel like you've missed the whole point of the movie or whatever. It's just cool. There is a scene in there that reminds me of Bonnie and Clyde um, when they're shooting up the car and they're in the car. And it's like, yeah. And there's even kind of some Batman moments where you go, oh, I, I, I see the call outs in all of these things that are happening. But you, you know, you'd have to be a movie nut to be able to pick up on some of that stuff because it's weird. And there are fun actors that you've seen in other things that have a little better run. Um, ben Wishaw, who plays Q, the thing Q, the guy, um, I interviewed him before the movie came out, thinking that the movie was gonna come out in due time. And I said, but how thankless is this role for you? Because Really, you're just kind of serving the master and creating things. He said, oh, no, there, wait till you see this. You will see how much I get to do and how I get to really create more than what you're expecting. And he does. It clearly, Jared, you could, you could make a whole series on him. That fascinating. And you see his personal life and everything. So it's not like he's just, oh, crap, I've got to do this film because I signed the contract when I was 
a lesser actor. And now I'm just riding out the game. And no, he gets a good shot. So do others too. So it's not just, Ray Fiennes could do something really big from this as well. And Billy Magnuson, if you know Billy Magnuson, he's been in a number of things. He's kind of this greasy guy. Well, he plays this guy who's kind of enamored with, with James Bond. Oh, the legend, James Bond. And it's like, keep it down, kid, you know? <laughs> so fun, fun. But that's, I, there, was, there was thought put into this easily. Jared. Yes. What have you seen recently that was uh, good that piqued your interest? Uh, well, not, uh, not surprisingly, been on a, uh, horror kick for the most part, uh, as of late. And so some of the stuff I've seen of more recent vintage, uh, yesterday, actually, I watched, uh, Dementia 13, which is the, uh, first ever movie that Francis Ford Coppola did. He, uh, did it in 1963. It's a Roger Corman, uh, movie. And it's basically about a, like, uh, uh, very, uh, a family with a lot of bad luck in their history, basically. It, it's more in tone with some of the, like, Edgar Allan Poe, like, uh, Corman movies that he did, where there's, like, a big, scary uh, manner, but it's a little bit more violent than some of those. I was actually kind of surprised by that. There's a couple of good uh, murder set pieces in it, and there's some really creepy stuff with some uh, toys and everything. You wouldn't necessarily know it's a Francis Ford Coppola movie by watching it, but it's kind of interesting to to watch him doing a cheapy movie for Roger Corman, which you can actually, quite a few of those guys, it's fun to go back and look at those because Scorsese did a movie with Corman, like quite a few of those guys early on did uh, stuff with Corman. So it's always interesting to go back and look at those. Some of Jack Nicholson's earliest stuff was with Corman. Yep. Um, so I watched that. I watched, uh, I rewatched one of the Halloween movies, Halloween 4, uh, which is actually a pretty, uh, pretty fun one. The beginning of that movie uh does as good a job of making it feel like fall as like almost any movie i think i've seen there's just some really like beautiful shots of like you know the leaves you know falling and you know kind of windswept parts of town and everything uh so that one's just a nice one to kind of put on and Can have on a, a quickie on you here there's yeah. a show called chucky based on child's play mm -hmm. and they wanted to have that fall look they had to truck in leaves so that they mm -hmm. could look like that. So if you watch Chucky this week when it premieres, you'll notice that those are, but they say they look really real, but they're fake leaves. So well, that's, one, that's one of, yeah, that's, no, that's one of my favorite things about the original Halloween, because that one they shot in uh, like the LA area and obviously they needed it to look like fall and they just had leaves that they would carry from one, you know, scene to the next like for different parts of town where they were shooting in and just like distribute them across the lawn and then like shoot there and then I guess move the leaves again so yeah and then uh not horror related at all but kind of a carryover from uh watching a card counter last week I watched uh, another Paul or uh, Paul Schrader movie I hadn't seen before and that was a uh, American Gigolo with uh Richard Gere which was fantastic I really really liked that movie they're redoing it too they are? Uh-huh. Huh. Probably not with Paul Schrader, I'm guessing. And not Richard Gere either. Yeah. Be like, um, what was that? There was a Saturday Night Live skit where um, Dan Aykroyd played, I'm Fred Garvin, male prostitute in the Quad Cities. So, <laughs> so there you are. 
What have you seen, Chris? Come on, you must have been to the movies. I have not actually been to a theater in a little bit, but- um, Since the rings, since you had the onion rings at Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi, yep. Um, I hadn't seen Black Widow up until just the other day, uh, because that finally came out on Disney Plus without having the, the you know, the, the embargo tax. Yeah, without costing like 30, 35, whatever, however many dollars it is. So that's free. Um, well, I guess, you know, included in the subscription cost of Disney Plus now. And um, I, I had a fine time. I think I have a, you know, running ranking of, you know, Marvel movies, and it's definitely in the bottom half of that. But it was, yeah, I, the whole film, I mean, anybody who, who's into it has either seen it already or, you know, definitely knows what's going on. I'm not going to spoil anything, but it's also, uh, you know, yeah. David Harbour and, uh, and Florence Pugh both steal the show completely right yeah. out from under everyone. I mean, the two of them uh, are so, well, David Harbour is over the top in a way that is perfect. For, for you know the the character and then Florence Pugh is maybe not understated but she's very intense about the character you can tell that she is really committed to it um so yeah so I watched that and I really in, enjoyed it for for what it was I don't know if I will ever watch it again outside of you know whenever there's like a new Marvel movie there's a you know compulsion to rewatch some of the things but yeah and it also, it, it kind of ends up tying in a little bit with the season finale of, uh, of the What If series that, that just wrapped up, but that's a whole different show to wade into, so I, I won't dig too far into that. And then I've been in a little bit of a, a Sydney Sweeney kick. Uh, I watched a movie called Nocturne in which... Uh, very similar to the the Birds of Paradise ballet movie that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, um, except piano instead of ballet. And Sidney Sweeney plays a, a haunted uh, haunted by this kind of satanic music ghost type thing. Um, and from there, uh, oh, and 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 Nocturne. That's part of the Welcome to the Blumhouse series that uh, of you know, films that Amazon has been doing. I think they're up to eight now. They, there's two coming out this week, which I haven't seen. And there's two that came out last week. And this is the one from, this is in the run from uh, last year. And so from, from Nocturne, Sydney Sweeney ended up going into a movie called The Voyeurs, which she did last or earlier this year, which is also on Amazon, not part of the, uh, the welcome to the Blumhouse thing, which was pretty good, kind of a rear window in in in, in you know France type thing, um, and but it has all these other twists and turns to it, um, and yeah, very interesting interesting spin on that. But uh, so I don't know, it was yeah, good stuff. That's that's what I've been up to. And then this weekend, I'm going to definitely see Lamb and uh, Titan. And maybe James Bond. 
maybe James Bond. I'm, I don't know. I, this is the thing. Like I've never been a huge James Bond person. I know that it is one of those franchises that people get really excited for. And I just have never gotten that excited about it. And outside of the ones that are critically, you know, valued, I guess. I mean, it's, I can certainly pick and choose Dr. No, Goldfinger, um, you know, the, some of the Daniel Craig ones, but the others just have this kind of corniness to them that I can't quite <laughs> get over. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not a Bond completist. Well, you, you would like it. I'm not to go back to that old well, but I think you'd like it. And um, I, you know, I, Tell me now, you, you're both people who watch Marvel films with more interest than I do. Do we really need to look for things in films that reference another film or another situation? I hate that. I hate having to try and, oh my God, that's the shawarma that was on the street on Thursday. Do I care? I do not care. And I, the idea that we're connecting dots and all being these fanboys that are hanging at Comic-Con waiting to find out if you can, you know, bid on some stray prop that they brought out. Can't we just enjoy these movies without having somebody, you know, after they revealed that they were all connected. Okay, that's cool. That's a good way to go back and look at things. But now there's this expectation that we're dropping something into all of these films that you've got to connect these dots because it's another puzzle. And that puzzle is even a better puzzle than you know, and it comes right down to it. A guy had to find five stones just to quit the thing. That you know, please. Well, I so. mean, like the the Marvel stuff is rooted. I mean, going all the way back to the comics, um, is built on this you know much larger foundation, and so that's that, that's baked into the DNA of the MCU. And they're only just now, I think, really starting to flex that with the the multiverse movies that are coming out and loki and um you know the what if series so i mean that's going to be, become an intrinsic part of it the the thing that gets a little bit cheap is when those reference points are the whole of of what you're doing you know i mean it's it's the difference between you know an episode of the simpsons and you know, like a prime, you know, period episode of The Simpsons versus, you know, an episode of The Family Guy where it's just, you know, remember that time we this and then you kind of go back to, you know, I don't know, Bill Cosby getting kicked in the balls or whatever. And then like, you just kind of move right along. I mean, it's, yeah, the MCU adds a certain amount of substance to it, I think. But even that, there's definitely, um, you know, lots of Easter eggs to uncover and, Part of that is is that would be a problem if if there wasn't other interesting layers to the experience. So I don't know. I'm just striking a blow for all of us who just like to watch the movie as the movie and yeah. not have to worry for you know oh I did I missed that so I don't know and I would love to have them quit those after the credit scenes that whole thing sitting around for another twenty minutes waiting for every name that got coffee for somebody is really stupid. I mean, I, yeah, I know I can look at it the next day, see it online in a 
YouTube thing, but the idea that they're just baiting you this whole step of the way. Just enjoy, enjoy Black Widow for what it was. Not have to worry about anything else. I feel like Ralphie in A Christmas Story, when he's sitting by the radio and trying to decipher what this code was, and you end up, it's eat Ovaltine every day, and you go, wait a minute, that's a commercial. Yeah. You're giving me a commercial for something else, and that's, that's the Marvel movies in a nutshell. Another movie that came out uh, this weekend, uh, or just a few days ago, actually, was There's Someone Inside Your House on Netflix. It's a... Uh, like a, a woke slasher movie, I guess, about people getting me too'd uh, by, you know, past actions that come back to haunt them or they've tried to hide, be it bad tweets or, you know, podcast appearances, as it were. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's, it's all right. It's a, it's a fun slasher movie in the, um, I don't know. I mean, has Netflix made any horror films that are, revolutionary or you know really above like a you know good to great kind of middling status to that point like the other night when i was trying to find some stuff to watch and i was going through like the horror stuff on like netflix in particular i was like man there's there's not a lot that's jumping out of me that i like feel just this great compulsion to to sit and watch they are definitely behind like Hulu and Amazon when it comes to a, like a solid horror selection. There's a couple of, you know, really good ones. Like I think Gerald's game is a Netflix exclusive and uh, some of the other Stephen King stuff is, but it's pretty slim pickings on Netflix for good horror stuff. There's someone inside your house is directed by a guy named Patrick Bryce, who his first two films are really, really low budget. Um, horror movies called Creep and Creep 2. Yeah, great uh, movies. Yeah, I mean, for what they are, they're really fantastic. And it stars, both of them star Mark Duplass as the, the titular creep who is a serial killer. Um, and Bruce, you'll love them. I think they're both about 80 minutes long. Would you, would you classify them as found footage, Jared? Yeah, no, they, they, they definitely are, yeah. Um, yeah, super low budget found footage movies. They're both actually pretty funny in, in parts. They're, they're more funny than scary, although there's some good horror stuff more in the first one than the second one, I would say. And then the like villain that uh, Mark Duplass plays is like one of the most pathetic like killers I think there's ever been in a movie. And that's pretty enjoyable to watch just this like killer that's going through and this is especially the case in the second movie. It's not really spoiling too much. In the second movie, he's the serial killer that's going through a midlife crisis, basically, which is just like really, really funny to, to watch play out in that one. Yeah. Yeah. The way that Creep kind of establishes the, you know, everything about his character and, you know, what they're doing. And then the second film, the way that it, you know, kind of takes that, sets up a pretty much the same scenario, but then very quickly uh, elevates it and adds this other nuance is, uh, yeah, it's really well done. Um, definitely seek those out if there's something inside your house, uh, piques your interest. I, I feel like I've said pique your interest 
about five times. You've piqued um, my interest with that. So there we go. There we go. Um, but in honor of Patrick Bryce and his new movie and him coming up from indie horror, we are going to talk about our favorite indie horror films. Um, Bruce? I, I want it before you can get it. So that's why Blair Witch Project easily that should have inspired a generation of filmmakers just alone what they were able to do with nothing and it was as creepy as you could get and it was like right there in front of your face and if you were anybody who picked up a camera you should have said damn why didn't i do that because that was so marvelous now going back to the well and trying to do a sequel does not work or trying to do the same concept just in a different setting doesn't work but the, the original concept I thought was brilliant. Even just the advertising for that was some of the better advertising for a movie too, because like they put up like or missing posters for like the people that are actually in the movie to just like blur reality even more. And yeah, there, I, um, uh, not too long ago, actually, I guess it was a couple of years ago now, I was watching that movie with some people that hadn't seen it before. And so I was a little worried how well it was going to hold up. And like some of the stuff in that still absolutely like terrified them, which was good to know that a, a movie with a very particular style from more than 20 years ago still can uh, hold up like that. That there was like some kind of a stick thing or uh, yep. made out of sticks. They mailed one of those to me when it was coming out and it just seemed like <laughs> random mail that you get in a newspaper anyway, that somebody was, you know, trying to tip you off about something. It was very clever. And you're right. The marketing was a big part of it. Jerry? So pick? Let's hear your big old indie cheapy horror flicky kind of films. Well, I, I, uh, I have uh, to move through both of them pretty quick. The first one is a, a classic. Uh, if people haven't ever seen this one, it's worth uh, seeking out. A little out. thing called Halloween. <laughs> uh, is a movie from 1963 called Blood Feast. Herschel Gordon Lewis. Yes, Herschel Gordon Lewis. Uh, and basically the movie is pretty much the first like splatter movie because there's, a, there's buckets of... Uh, Blood in Blood Feast. And it's about a food caterer who kills women so that he can like use their like parts of their body as meals for his catering service and then also perform sacrifices to the god Ishtar. That's like basically the plot of Blood Feast. And it's really terribly acted. The pacing is bizarre uh the makeup on the uh the main guy that plays the evil caterer is <laughs> really subpar but um there's kind of some charm about the movie it's only like 67 minutes so it, it goes by pretty fast and there's just something um really really charming about it and it's a very much a, a foundational movie because it was the first you know splatter movie so it's worth watching for for that alone and just the charm of this very, very low budget uh, movie. And also and speaking the, about advertising and marketing, that was one of the, you know, earlier really low budget, you know, films that got, you know, took over newspapers. You know, I mean, every, every week leading into that, 
that movie rolling into the the local drive-in, you know, you'd you'd have you know, Blood Feast is coming. Blood Feast one week from today. Get your friends for Blood Feast. We will give out vomit bags. Like I mean, it was really aggressive. I was going to say that was one of those movies that uh, yeah did the vomit bags thing at theaters that showed it of like you're going to need this because it's it's so revolting. Um, so that's 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 one of mine. And then a newer one that I actually only watched for the first time. So um, the remake of Blood Feast. <laughs> they they made a second one in 2002 called uh, Blood Feast Two All You Can Eat. Um, but uh, my, my other pick uh, and Bruce, you were talking about you know some of the tropes and everything of horror movies and why don't they do this or why don't they do that? Why don't they try the phone or whatever? Uh, this is a movie from the 2000s called uh, Behind the Mask, uh, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, which is basically a mockumentary uh, slasher movie where this film crew uh, follows around a guy that's about to become like a famous serial killer, basically. And in the world of this movie, like Michael Myers and Freddy Krueger and Jason, they're all real people. And this guy that this film crew follows around, he basically wants to be like them. And so the first half or so of the movie is him like training to become this like, you know, hollowed serial killer. And he takes him through the house that he's going to do it in. And he's like, and now I'm going to, you know, I got this switch and I'm going to switch off all the lights. And then they're going to have to go down to the basement and check out the lights. And that's when I'm going to get them. And, you know, the film crew will ask him questions about like, well, you know, why don't you ever attack anyone when they're hiding in the closet? And he's like, well, the, to us uh, killers, the closet is a hollowed space, so we can't, we can't attack them uh, when they're hiding there. Um, it's a really, really charming and really um, funny movie, and it's very much lo-fi. I think, I don't even know what the budget was a million dollars for it. It had to have been uh, less than that, but it's really, really funny. Um, and when it does turn into more of a traditional slasher, that stuff, works really well too so it's just a, a total joy to watch if you've never seen it and who's in it anybody we know nope no nope. robert england is in as a you know Cameo? part more or less yeah but doesn't really play that much of a role um so yeah i mean it's a it's a really really low budget uh type thing does he play freddy krueger in it or not nope no, nope. his character's name is Doc Halloran. Oh, wow. Wow. You know, I wonder if he has the rights to just do that wherever. Like if he said, we'd like to have you come over to the house as Freddie, would they allow him to do that? Or is that like, no go? I mean, I'd imagine so. So let's call him up for Halloween. Yeah. He's okay. got to, you know, get a, get a Robert England cameo. Yeah, sounds order, good. Order one up. The second one sounds like something I'd really like to see. That sounds good. How about you, Chris? What was your big old cheapie? The, the one that I picked is a movie from 2007 uh, called Murder Party. It is Jeremy Saulnier's uh, debut feature. And Jeremy Saulnier, who did Blue Ruin, Green Room, um, two really fantastic films that I've are more like indie thrillers than than horror necessarily but murder party kind of similar to um to behind the mask messes with a lot of horror tropes in a knowing way but the plot of it is uh 
this character played by Chris Sharp named Christopher Hawley, a uh, bit of a sad sack uh, on Halloween finds a, an in, just a random invitation to a Halloween party, uh, like on the street, just like steps on it. And then goes to this Halloween party where it's just a handful of art students who are going to murder whoever shows up as a art project. And it kind of spins out from there. And I mean, having gone to a liberal arts college and been friends with a lot of people uh, in the early 2000s who would classify as, you know, these kind of, you know, art nerds, then, yeah, I, I the way that they, that they talk amongst themselves and the references they make, there is a, yeah, very arch, I guess, presentation of the, you know, postmodern <laughs> Uh, you go to one of these art parties? I have been, yeah. I mean, when I was in in college, I uh, definitely had friends who were who were in, you know, the the fine arts program, and uh, I definitely participated in in a handful of weird, uh, you know, were art you a projects. Were you no, a sacrifice? No, 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 no. I I didn't. Nothing, nothing like this, where you know people you know, actually murdered anybody happened to me in, in real life. But in, in this film, um, it's, yeah, it's just, it's, it's well done and it spins out pretty quick. Um, yeah. Also stars Macon Blair as one of the main uh, art students, Macon Blair, uh, who went on to act in a ton of stuff. He was the, uh, the main guy in Blue Ruin and uh, he's directed a handful of films as well. So I don't feel at home in this world anymore, which is on Netflix. It's another one that he did, but. Well, if you're fans of you, do you remember you, the TV series on Netflix where the guy's a very kind of um, Dexter like in a way there is a third season and it starts, I think next week. So be ready for it because it is fascinating what happened to his character now. And he's still out there doing things. Okay. What else is new? Uh, yeah, but we can go to news. News now. Is that the theme song? News now. Let me ask, Welcome can I ask one more question now. before we get to news? Yeah, what's up? Jared, when you go to a horror film, what do you eat? Popcorn. Just popcorn? It's nothing? Nope, just just my buttered like popcorn. Gummy worms or anything just in case? So it kind of adds nah. to horror? Nope. Okay. Just, just me and my, uh, me and my popcorn. All right. Good to know. Do you buy the toppings at all? No, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a purist when it comes to popcorn. Only butter. No, none of the cheeses. Only butter-like uh, product, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, no cheeses or uh, oils or anything like that. Just butter. Okay. All right. Sorry, I veered. I just was questioning. News. What's news? You guys know all the news. Let's hear it. What do you got, Jared? Mine was a, a good uh, op-ed from, I think, this week, or Sunday. It came out on the Sunday called Don't Let Amazon Eat the, the Film Industry. And uh, it kind of goes through, you know, the early days of uh, film when, you know, the studios very much dominated the entire industry and had not only the, you know, exhibition channels locked up, but distribution channels, too. Um and it kind of weaves through that history up to the present day with um, what Chris was talking about earlier with um, Amazon's proposed uh, 
merger um, where it would be getting uh, MGM's uh, massive uh, library. And um, it, it kind of just weaves through that and talk about how, you know, much of a negative impact these kind of uh, integration moves like that could be for the film industry because, you know, then it's a lot, the barrier for entry becomes a lot harder when, you know, only a couple people control every aspect related to film beyond just, you know, the making of movies, but also the screening of them and everything else. So it's uh, worth a read. It's an article in the New York Times called um, Don't Let Amazon Eat the Film Industry. Chris, I've got two things. The first of which is more general, but the idea of Venom that came out last weekend, the fact that it did gangbusters numbers. Uh, I mean, I don't want to necessarily get up on a soapbox and, you know, shout to the, to the high heavens that movies are back, but it certainly feels like we are getting back to some kind of normalcy. And I know we've, we talked last week about Halloween going to Peacock. Uh, and I'm wondering if that's going to be a regret going forward for, for Blumhouse maybe, but ultimately it definitely feels like we are in the groove for big blockbusters to be making reasonably the same amount of money, give or take. Um, but isn't it weird how if it's a flop, they blame it on, well, you know, they added the streaming thing and people aren't really doing that. But if it's a hit, it's suddenly this kind of, wow, we're really good. That's, it's, yeah, they want it both ways. And folks, you can't be double dipping. You yep. pick, pick a lane and stick in it, right? Yep. Yep. Well, they'll, they'll always massage the numbers in, in that sense. I mean, that's, it's, you know, Hollywood business. The biggest hits in, in film history were losers on the books because they needed to write off some bad bills and that's how they did it. And you think that can't be, but that's the way it is. So never get those back-end profits because then they're going to kind of screw you over, get the check up front. Yep. I was going to say, it's a, uh, it's a fool's errand to try to hustle, you know, for points. They'll find a way that, you know, that Coke was charged extra. You can find that at a lawyer's office too. Watch the clock and don't take the free drinks. When you go to a lawyer's office, don't drink anything and just ask the questions you need to. Don't visit about the baseball game. Yep. So Venom did, did big numbers. And I would imagine that Bond is going to do big numbers. And um, yeah, Halloween, I'm going to go see in the theater. You're going to go see it in a theater. We'll see how many people also go see it in a theater. Um, and yeah, so that was the first bit of news for me. The second bit is much smaller in scale, but is just wonderful to hear is that uh, the um, Andrew Lloyd Webber did a, a big interview in, in a Variety. And the headline is Andrew Lloyd Webber says Cats was so off the scale wrong that he bought a therapy dog. <laughs> um, and the big quote in there at the very end is that, yeah, he, he ended up having to get a therapy dog because he was just so stressed out by how the film ruined his idea of what Cats was. And then also um, in trying to get the therapy dog onto airplanes, uh, he, he sent an email to the airline saying, uh, or the question from the airline was, can you prove that you really need the dog? And he, his response was, yes, just see what Hollywood did to my musical cats. 
And the airline said, yep, we don't need to see a doctor's report. Bring them on. (laughs) (laughs) You're good. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, we just had cats here as part of it's a national tour. This week was the 40th anniversary of cats. And if you go see the, the live version of cats, you'll realize it's a theatrical thing. It has not, it could not be translated. Whatever they're doing on stage does not translate on film. And it, people talked about making an animal that should have been animated. It would have been a better film. Well, that's one of the things that it talks about in the in the article on Variety was that originally, I think when when the rights got sold, uh, it went to Amblin with the original idea that Steven Spielberg was going to do a an animated version of it. And then obviously that got, you know, in turnaround or whatever else. I don't know if Spielberg ended up doing uh, Tintin instead or what the timeline of that was. But yeah, that's what it was originally going to be. And then it ended up being what it is now, which is one of the most uh, chaotic and unintentionally unsettling film experiences, (laughs) you know, of of a generation, really. Yeah, it's... It's really bad. It's, I still, I still stand by it. I still stand by it. It is, it, it is some of the most fun that I've had watching movies in a very long time. Up there with, um, you know, the first Venom movie, which I am incredibly excited to. I think I will watch the second Venom movie before I see the new Bond movie. I think that that might be. I'm going to do a triple feature tomorrow with Lamb, Titan. And Venom. That's going to be back to back to back. And I am going to absolutely uh, just, yeah, melt away. So that's, so that's the week. Jared. Well, there, we are. there we are. There we are. Jared, you want to take us out real quick? Absolutely. Uh, look, I, I, I don't have anything fancy for this one either, other than to say, uh, go out and uh, see something good. And in this case, in the month of October, see something spooky. Spooky. So that is the end of the episode. Make sure that you're subscribed so you won't miss out on next week's show when we will cover Halloween Kills by David Gordon Green and The Last Duel directed by Ridley Scott. You can check the show notes for links to where you can stream the movies that we talked about, discover older episodes, and find ways to contact Bruce, Jared, and myself as well if you want. The show is produced by myself, Bruce, and Jared, and I'm the one who records and edits it. We hope you enjoyed this episode and are taking care of yourself out there. As always, thank you so much for listening. 